0: The following podcast includes synonyms for fornication, defecation, urination, and our own fake word, statsturbation. Hello and welcome to episode 291 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is a bonus episode. we got a bunch of stuff in the mailbag. We've got an excuse of the week. We've got a pearls versus turds. I'm not sure exactly when this is going to air, but probably sometime during the week of March 29th. Uh, upcoming events include the April LSAT starting on April 10th, the uh June registration deadline is Friday, April thirtieth, and that's for uh, an LSAT that's going to happen during the week of June twelfth. Um, I'm ready to just dive right into this uh, pearls versus turds. Ben, why don't you tackle it?
1: Sure. So pearls versus turds is where we take some advice, usually from the internet, and decide whether it's actually good advice, a pearl, or bad advice. A turd or i guess we use explicit language right on this show um to be very clear <laughs> so shitty advice
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of, <laughs> of shitty advice out there man the scoreboard right now is 13 pearls against 43 turds and uh, 22 ties which are basically turds anyway so um, this one's coming to us from listener jacob what's jacob have to say
1: hello ben and nathan A career advisor at the university I'm attending is advising prospective law students to take the LSAT backwards. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just don't listen to anything else this person has to say. Yep. Uh, Wow. Okay. You know, this thing does, this, this idea comes up a lot for new test takers. I think they're like, oh, if I could get the hard stuff out of the way, which might be a great philosophy for your life, like during the day, maybe you should tackle your hardest tasks first but it's horrible advice for the LSAT. He goes on to say, According to her, most students do not finish each section because they run out of time while tackling the harder questions. Her advice is to start every section with the last question passage game and then work toward the first question. Her reasoning is that less, fewer, students run out of time when they're able to get the hard questions done first. Wrong. Okay, Her premise is wrong, so... <laughs> just pure trash i mean that's
0: terrible advice and i put this on the agenda you know up top here because you're i'm sorry but your career advisor does not know shit about the law school admission test that is just yep. absolute mm-hmm. trash completely opposite of what we would ever recommend The questions appear in each section roughly in increasing order of difficulty, and you need to make sure you harvest the low-hanging fruit first. Your career advisor is advising you to go to the very top of the tree and risk breaking your neck to try to get the hardest questions on the section first. So you just immediately exhaust yourself. You immediately get frustrated, panicky, banging your head against these hardest questions that you're ever going to see. And you know, on a logic game or something, you might spend the entire 35 minutes working on that one game. You know, you go game four and game three, you very likely might spend 35 minutes on game four and game three, depending on your level. Now, if you're an expert who's already scoring 175 on every test, I suppose you could get away with this.
1: Sure. And I love your analogy, by the way, you go to the top of the tree, right? You try to get those Not low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And then you you think to yourself, but the low-hanging fruit's just down there. I can easily grab it. But (laughs) remember, someone is going to come in and whisk you away from this vineyard, right? They're going to take you off and they're going to say, sorry, you can't take any more fruit out of this vineyard. And you're going to say, wait a sec, I see fruit right there. It's an orchard, not a
0: vineyard. There's no high-hanging fruit in a vineyard. It's all low to the
1: ground. Um, yeah, that was, that was, uh, thanks for that. <laughs> Wait, so, <laughs> I, I do see that on some level. So, a vineyard would be like grapes, right? Yes, what, which are all low. Would, is that all that can be considered a vineyard? Yes,
0: it's an orchard. Oh, uh, come on, about there's got
1: to be something else. You're not a horticulturist, I,
0: but I did grow up in the country. And uh, <laughs> if somebody says vineyard, I've been to Napa before and Sonoma, and when you say vineyard, that shit's like chest high, probably okay i'm not conceding
1: this i believe a vineyard could have (laughs) higher fruit let's hope it's true all right and ben's
0: weird orchard or ben's weird vineyard where he for some reason built 20 foot high (laughs) arbors to grow his grapes on yeah proceed don't go to the top of that weird (laughs) no yeah
1: (laughs) and you know anyways okay i don't want to take it any further but yeah that's um Yeah, so that's your problem, is you're basically going to be kicked out of this vineyard or orchard, and you're going to see fruit you could have easily grabbed, and it's not going to be yours.
0: Yeah, you want to read the rest of Jacob's email? Seems like he's got a pretty good picture of this advice.
1: Oh, okay. Um, I immediately thought of your podcast when I heard this advice. Sounds to me like a major turd. Her reasoning appears invalid as she is confusing correlation with causation. Okay. I don't see that. Maybe, quite.
0: maybe she's certainly yeah. not understanding the cause of this phenomenon of most people running out of time. Sure, right. It's like, true. She's just like, well, most of the people run out of time on the hardest questions. Therefore it's the hardest questions that cause you to run out of time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, mm-hmm. that might be true, but that's not an argument in favor of doing those questions first, because in that case you would just run out of time.
1: First, yeah. like right away, you see, <laughs> see greater <laughs> greater problems. Yeah, at the time. I imagine the students finishing the sections would be doing so regardless of what question they start on. She also completely ignores the accuracy aspect of test taking. Finishing a section does not necessarily equal getting answer choices correct. Um, I would like to know if you agree this is a turd, or if you would argue that this advice is to be a pearl. No, it's not a pearl. Thanks for everything you guys are doing. The podcast is great, and the demon has changed my LSAT prep immensely. Well, that's good to hear, Jacob. I did. What did I want to say about this? Oh, yeah. So Jacob says the accuracy aspect of test-taking, right? And you and Jackson just put together that tool, which I thought was interesting. If you look at some simple numbers, right, some simple extremes, but if someone gets hundred percent correct of 70% of the test, right? They only do 70% of the test, but they get a hundred percent of that correct. Well, obviously they're getting 70% correct plus whatever percentage, you know, 20% of the remaining questions. So you're necessarily going to be above 70%. But if you flip that around and uh, only get 70% correct, Of 100% of the test, well, now you're getting 70% correct. So you're you're always going to be lower, (laughs) at least with those extreme numbers. Yeah.
0: And if you start at the beginning of the section and only do 70% of the questions, you're not even doing the hardest questions in the section. Mm
1: -hmm, You're guessing
0: on the hardest questions. You're not going to get very many of them right, but you are going to get 20% of them right on average. Yeah, And so you're going to get 20% of the hardest questions correct for free while spending your entire 35 minutes on the first 70% of the questions in the section, which are easier. And so it's so much easier to do 70% of the questions with 100% accuracy than it is to do 100% of the questions with 70% accuracy.
1: Yeah, and because you have a harder batch.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because you're doing
1: more work on harder questions. But Nathan, you could skip the hard ones and just go find <laughs> skip the, the hard ones one. is like just
0: <laughs> such a turn. That's one of the worst pieces of advice we ever hear. I mean, it, it, well, you know, but but by but see, the thing is, if you do the questions from the beginning, you will be automatically skipping the hard ones. Your career advisors, faulty assumption. It's a foundational assumption that she made at the very beginning. She thinks everybody has to finish every section. And that's why she came up with this dumb advice. I think it's dumb advice even if you do decide that you're going to try to finish every section.
1: Yeah, I'd rather you rush <laughs> on the ones. That I'd rather hard. you rush on the hardest
0: ones that you're going to miss anyway or that you're more likely yep. to miss anyway than rush on the easy ones, which anybody could get if they just took their damn time with them. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but your career advisor should not be giving uh, any LSAT advice.
1: Uh, Hopefully your career advisor's advice outside the LSAT is great, but
0: I'm going to go ahead and provisionally say she's not to be trusted because she's popping (laughs) off about things she doesn't understand. Um, If you have a pearls versus turd candidate, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com or you can find us on social media at thinking LSAT. We'd love to get you on a future show ready for excuse of the week.
1: Yeah, except for I'm slightly uneasy by a claim you just made. You said that she's popping off on things that she doesn't <laughs> Which we know. do all the time. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad you caught me on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what anyway <laughs> hey, but I think when we pop off about shit we don't we we definitely are not experts on, I think we yeah. acknowledge it.
1: Okay, so there's a, there's an acknowledgement of the ignorance.
0: Well, how many times have we said, hey, this is just pure random speculation, but, and then we give a strong opinion, but I'm, no, I am I know full well that I'm wrong half the time. Um, I'm not wrong about the LSAT. <laughs> you know? And So I can recognize just pure trash when I see it, and that is really, really, that's dangerous, damaging advice she's given out. I'm sure her heart's in the right place. She thinks she's helping, but she's hurting yeah. all of those students that, are, that she's giving that advice to. And it's just, yep. it's just a shame. Okay. Excuse of the week. It says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I have an excuse of the week, and it's my own exclamation point. I've noticed that my ability to carefully process and understand each reading comp paragraph one at a time has been improving. But on today's drill question, I was still spending time debating answer choices on a question or two. When I went back later to review the debated questions, whether answered correctly or not, I realized that sometimes I check out mentally when reading the answer choices and miss key words that would allow me to eliminate them immediately. I, this is in italics excuse myself from giving the answer choices, the proper mental attention, because I feel again, italics finished in accomplishing my goal to spend enough time processing the passage. So basically checking out on the actual questions which is where you get paid you know so i did such a good job reading the passage that i can now half ask the questions no
1: has that client paid you yet no but uh you know i'm moving on to the next job
0: invoicing (laughs) and i don't i don't whatever it's fiddle all work out um Okay. I realize it sounds obvious to say, yes, you must be mentally engaged the entire time, but I didn't realize in the moment that I was checking out until I caught words on my review that did not register the first time around. I know it's dangerous to make an analogy, but it reminded me of a tennis player who works patiently to construct a point into a winning position only to dump the easy overhead into the net at the end. Many thanks to both of you for creating the demon and offering really useful advice for the Elsa and beyond, Chris. Uh, What do you think about that excuse?
1: Well, first of all, I love this email because the issues that Chris is dealing with are the kinds of things that we want people to be dealing with, right? Not the, oh, I'm starting at the end of this section... And I mean, that's easy to solve. It's like, don't start at the end of the section. But we want you to move beyond that and start getting to a point where you're taking our advice seriously. You're seriously reading the passage. You're doing the best you possibly can. You're still getting questions wrong and you dig in and figure out what the precise cause is. And I feel like that's what Chris is doing here. It also shows an immense amount of self-awareness, right? Which is also required when people review. I feel like so many people are unaware of the fact that when they say an answer choice is a better fit, that they're really just not aware. So they're unaware of the fact that they're not aware of the (laughs) correct explanation for that answer. Right. right? Last night I taught two
0: classes back to back. I taught the April 2021 LSAT flex study group, which is open to everybody in the world. Um, anybody can come anybody, if you're on our newsletter or anything, you're invited to that Uh, group study group that I've been doing once a week. And I I intend to continue that. It'll up. The title will update June, 2021 (laughs) (laughs) study group, but um, I love teaching that class. And then I taught my normal Thursday night class back to back. And in the study group and in my normal class, I had like three or four questions in a row where my answer to all of the questions was basically the same. Okay. So, what happens is people look at their like meta data and then they ask why they're not improving. Ugh. Okay. So
1: it's very unscientific, right? Like it's very, anyways, go ahead. Well, it's like,
0: you know, I scored 165 on a couple practice tests, but then my last seven in a row have all been 161s. Why am I not improving? Okay. That's one question. On reading mm-hmm. comp, I I feel like I'm reading the passages well but I'm just not getting all of the questions right. What can I do about that? Or on reading comp, I notice that I I get or maybe this was an LR question. On LR, I, I get the harder ones at the end of the section right, but I miss some of the middle difficult. I get the easy ones and the hardest ones, but I miss some of the ones in the middle. You've heard all these questions before, by the way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. My answer to every single one of those questions was you missed four questions on this section. Okay. You made eight mistakes to miss those four questions. I'd never quite articulated it that way before, but it seemed like a pretty powerful way of thinking about it, right? Something about that multiplication where it's like, really? You missed five of the questions you attempted? Well, guess what? (laughs) That means you made 10 errors. If you missed five questions, at least, at least that. Yeah. I,
1: sorry, I just have to double down on that because like it really is at least right. Because you're, you're definitely making two and who knows what you did in the passage and who knows what you did with the question.
0: Right. But for every question you've missed, you yep. have neglected to pick the right answer, which is its own mistake. Mm-hmm. And you have also picked an incorrect answer. That's yep. two mistakes to miss one question. So, you know, you might think you did okay, right? You're like, well, yeah, pretty good. You know, I I finished the section and I missed four. Wait a second. In 35 minutes, you made eight mistakes, eight documentable mistakes on the page. You picked four wrong answers and you failed to pick four correct answers. That's eight mistakes in 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's not lawyer shit. That what are you doing? And so it it sounds like Chris has actually figured that out finally, mm-hmm. right? It's just it's like this is universal advice that applies to reading comp, logical reasoning, games, everything, every every question you're ever going to do on the LSAT. You have to fuck up twice in order to miss that question, and it's like people don't want to confront that reality they're very hesitant right they keep asking questions but they're not asking the right questions because they're they want to ask these high level how do i break out of my rut i keep scoring 162 and i just can't get to 166 and it's like yeah because you're not really digging in there and being very specific about the two mistakes that you have to make on every single question in order to miss it.
1: Just, I mean, I know we've talked about this before and and I, but by analogy, right? You learned your native language, not by asking grand generalizations about the language, but you heard specific instances and were corrected on specific instances as you use them incorrectly. And then from that, one day in school, someone told you a rule, and even then, that rule probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. And what you're trying to do when you say, <laughs> oh, uh, what, why, why am I you know, getting 161? It's just like throwing out some random rule as opposed to actually digging into the specific examples that will help you understand that rule concretely in a way that your brain can actually learn that
0: we can use the previous email from jacob as an example jacob said her reasoning is that less students run out of time when then when they are able to get the hard questions done first and as ben was reading that he changed less into fewer
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: (laughs) now the abstract rule there is that because students are discrete individual students we have to say fewer instead of less Um, (laughs) but if we taught you that rule in the abstract, you would never understand it. Instead, we correct it when we see it. And then that's how you learn that grammar. What do you think about Chris's, uh, tennis analogy?
1: Uh, I don't know much about tennis. So when he said dump the easy overhead into the net at the end, I'm guessing he could have slammed it, but then he put it into the net,
0: right? like he's he's standing in the middle of the court 10 feet from the net the ball's floating up in the air and he can just easily put it away he had to work his ass off to get himself in that position to. right sure. cuz he forced a kind of a bad shot from his imp- opponent and now he's in the position to just take to the point it. easily and instead he bricks it you know into the net or just yeah. misses the court entirely or whatever it is that he does um, I, I actually yeah. like that analogy quite a bit. If you're gonna take the time, which you should, to read the passage correctly in reading comprehension, then you got to get paid for that work. And uh, the way you do that is by picking the right answer and dismissing the wrong answers. Which the wrong answers, as Chris has noted, are wrong for specific reasons. And you gotta you gotta get a little like tough on yourself. It's just not, you can't just let that be okay. You know, like, do you, how many times, Ben, have you seen students sort of excuse themselves for that? where they're just like, well, I, I understood it. And I, I I read it, I, you know, I read the passage really well, but you know, I mean, I missed these three questions because, uh, yeah, on that one, there was a word in the answer I chose that, you know, I didn't read. And so I I picked it, but it was wrong. (laughs) And it's like, well, okay. But you also didn't pick the correct answer, which is another mistake that you should be thinking about. Um, by the
1: way in terms of letting people uh people letting themselves off the hook i i would say there's like sort of um oh uh, uh i want to say sinister but it's not sinister um like deceptive or or problematic excuse that sounds good especially given what we're saying but is actually another excuse to let yourself off the hook and and we hear it all the time it's Oh, I should have read that more carefully. Yes, you should have. But can you tell me why now that is incorrect and why, the like you said, the wrong answer is—or, sorry, why the correct answer is correct and why the wrong answer that you chose is incorrect? Like, it, it, it becomes an excuse to just, like, move on. Like, oh, if I had just read more carefully, I would have gotten it. I'm not so sure that's true. Well,
0: I think it's probably half true. I think you also need to go deeper into that. Like you, you got to just really confront that pair of mistakes you've made. Yeah. Right. Like, like get more specific, spend more time on it. You kind of have to like punish yourself a little bit for this mistake. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I'm not, I'm not here for, well, I misread that. Yeah. I I can't help you. I want to help you. I can't help you if you keep doing that shit. Uh, I just, yeah, I I didn't like that one word in the in the right answer, so I I I didn't pick that one, and then I I just misread the wrong answer I
1: picked. <laughs> but like, but I can I can see why it's right now. Oh, can you? Okay, explain to me why is it better. That's and, true, and that's that it still doesn't come out. They they're saying it. There's there's like this weird dialogue that's going on. That's like, yes, I get it now. It makes sense. Of course, that's correct. Okay, why? Why?
0: Right. And, and, and that's another thing that came up in class recently was like, how do I know when I have reviewed a question properly? How do I know when I really understand a question? And I said, and it like, it was funny because it like scared the shit out of the class. I was like, can you imagine yourself explaining that question to me, to my satisfaction? Like, would I believe you if you explained it to me? Would I believe you that you actually understand it? Mm-hmm. And you know, my teaching style is I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm not like really a hard ass in real life, but I am a hard ass about LSAT logic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Be, but that's because I believe you can understand this shit, you know, and, but, but, th- and when you're doing your review, think about it. Would you, did, do you, could you explain it to Ben? Uh, Ben's kind of nicer than I am, but he also is going to require you to really under He's going to require you to explain it in terms that make sense. Both of your mistakes. Why is this right answer, right? And why didn't you pick it? Why is this wrong answer wrong? And why did you pick it? And oh, I misread it is not specific enough. Also, it's your responsibility to just stop doing that shit. There's nothing else we can do to help you. If you're going consi- to continue to drop points because of casual mistakes and just misreading and just misunderstanding and just, well, I, I wasn't careful enough. Uh, I wish you the best uh, and I really would love to help, but that's the kind of error that we, there's nothing we can tell you other than stop it. I don't know um sounds like chris has learned that lesson and i I would bet i mean i would bet money that chris is really going to improve a lot from from that position
1: he's going to improve a lot and he's still going to get some questions wrong but he's going to be at that point where he can then dig into whatever problem that is fix it and keep moving on. It's it's the reason science is so powerful is because you learn, you lock it in, and then you move forward, right? As opposed to this vague, like yeah.
0: loose. Talk. And you you have to practice the way you're gonna play on the day of the game, right? So mm-hmm. if you keep casually doing this on your practice, well then you're just training yourself to do that on the official test. When you sit down and do drilling in the LSAT demon. I want you to expect to get every question right.
1: Yeah. There's no time limit. Yeah. Nothing stops the (laughs) clock except you.
0: Yeah. And you have to fuck up twice in order to miss that question. If that shit does not turn green, when you hit submit, you have made Mm -hmm. two mistakes and you've got to root those mistakes out. Nobody else can do that for you. It's probably not some LSAT technicality or, you know, some bit of like, knowledge that you don't have.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. 80% of your mistakes have nothing to do with any kind of theory. I picked a random number. It might be 95% of your mistakes have nothing to do with theory. It's that you didn't read that shit carefully enough, right? (laughs) On reading comp, you either didn't read the passage well enough, or you didn't read the question well enough, or you didn't read the right answer well enough or you didn't read the wrong answer well enough, or some combination of all four of those things. Because if you had read the passage, the question, the right answer, and that wrong answer, if you had read those properly with attention to detail and actually understanding what they say, you can't miss the question.
1: Yeah, and if you don't understand something about logic, well, then you're going to fix that pretty quickly because you understand exactly what was said and you get schooled in that logical idea and then you're moving on. We're certainly here to help,
0: right? We've got copious videos and written explanations and the ask button. And the combination of all that should make it perfectly clear. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you'll take on board whatever little bits of knowledge. There's just not that much knowledge on the LSAT. They're not like... It's, it's not calculus, you know, it's not like you have to learn these principles. It's not chemistry. It's, it's, it's English and it makes sense. And sure, there's a few little things, but it shouldn't take very long for you to encounter those few little things. If you're being careful on every question you attempt, and if you're really digging in deep on these mistakes that you keep making. Um, cool. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. If you have an excuse of the week, uh, please email help at thinkinglsat.com or hit us up on social at thinkinglsat. All right. We're going to go through uh, the mailbag here. Um, Ben?
1: Yeah. This is from Jake. Jake writes, Hey, Ben and Nathan, should I write a diversity statement for being a non-traditional 32-year-old student with a blue collar background?
0: We're we're not going to say non-traditional anymore about 32-year-olds. Not That's about 32-year-olds. <laughs> That's not non-traditional. Well, I don't even want to say it about 62-year-olds. We've <laughs> no. had this argument before. Yeah, I think we'll that,
1: leave. There's some cutoff for me, but I, I'm, I'm willing to grant you 32 for sure. For sure. We're at least on the same page I, there. It's, it's, it's vague anyway. So mm-hmm. you
0: could just say it for what it is. You're a bit older. But 32 but Aaron, years old 32 isn't even is not, older. Yeah,
1: No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that even old. Yeah, I mean, it's no. technically it's older. Than the average, but it's not what
0: by five years or something like it's yeah. it's inconsequential. You guys yeah, trust but- me. When you get to our age, when you get to Ben's mm-hmm. age and my age, you're gonna realize that like twenties, thirties, forties, it's all it's all kind of the same. It, nobody yeah. knows what the hell they're doing in life until quite a bit later, no, if ever. I don't
1: think they know when they're. Li- <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you're just living until you die. Sorry. Yes. Anyways. It's your best guess. It's worth shooting So,
0: should Jake write a diversity statement? Provisionally, probably, yeah. I mean, but the blue-collar background to me is a lot more interesting than the 32 years old.
1: Sure. Yeah. As a young student, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Mm. My symptoms... Caused me to drop out, and I started selling cars. When I got married, my wife realized I would stop breathing while sleeping, and that I would do bizarre things and not remember them in the morning. Uh, I don't, I don't see much of a place for any of this in your.
0: Absolutely not. I would leave all that out. I immediately, if I'm a law school admissions person, I immediately start thinking you probably got extra time on the LSAT, which I don't. I don't want to know that if you did, that's fine. But I do not want to know that. And I just worry that you're a problem. I mean, it's like, this is how many excuses is this?
1: Not, and they're not, not going to they... come out and say that. Cause they can't say that no, on some level, but right? it's just, but
0: it's just, it's just drama that I don't want. I got a stack yeah. of applications of people who do not have bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, and ADHD
1: or sleep apnea and or sleep apnea. <laughs>
0: I don't, you know, do not disclose all of these things, which, you know, you know what? I might not legally be allowed to discriminate against you because of ADHD, but I don't have to give you a reason when I don't admit you.
1: Yeah. And it's <laughs> so, and it's possible that the person who's not admitting you may not even admit to themselves. Right. Because of the, the, you know, the legal ramifications and the the moral or whatever ramifications are so, like, have beaten back their mind so much that they can't even admit to themselves that that's why they're denying you. But they're still afraid on some level, and so then they don't. And there's plenty of other reasons to deny people that you don't have to. You can point to anything you want, and it becomes rational, and it's over.
0: Yeah, stop disclosing these things. It's not real. I don't care. I would rather, I mean, you started, you dropped out and started selling cars. That's awesome. I'd love to hear about you selling cars. Yep. I don't care why you're there. Why are you protesting so much? Why do you like, why are you ashamed of selling cars?
1: Well, I I think it's a common problem that other people have, even without as many uh, challenges that Jake has faced. Uh, They just, I don't know, they feel like. They, they're going to tell this story, and the person on the other side is going to feel sympathy or empathy for them, and then somehow start rooting for them. Like saying, okay, well, look at what you've overcome. I want you on my team. It doesn't work that way. They want the strongest players. And this does not make you look strong, regardless of whether it is true or not.
0: Sidney Montgomery our guest on episode 290 of the podcast refers to this as an exercise in trauma Olympics. And that's what we want to avoid on our personal statement and on our diversity statement. I'm not saying that you, that you can't acknowledge some of this, but you're supposed to be putting your best foot forward And you're definitely not putting your best foot forward if you're giving me a whole litany of various problems.
1: Let me keep reading this. Uh, He says some more. So it says, it turns out I have sleep apnea and REM movement disorder or REM movement disorder. My brain was chronically deprived of oxygen and my sleep stages were fragmented. Okay, sorry to hear that. When I was treated, all of my symptoms improved and it became apparent that I wasn't bipolar, depressed, etc. So, <laughs> so okay. it's not These even These problems are gone. <laughs> well, yeah. It's not even a real diagnosis. Yeah. But
0: but I but my my like subconscious brain still is going to I don't want to discriminate against you. But I don't know that I'm actually capable of rationally choosing that path. You brought up bipolar and depression.
1: Well, and I'm even always if you are, link you it's to a that. waste of time, right? It's a waste of time because you, you don't have that many sentences in your personal statement. Don't be spending any of them on this.
0: It's too many excuses. It's too many negative things about you. They're not even real. If you want to write an addendum, I think an addendum is appropriate here. The diversity statement, I mean, if you want to write about selling cars or even in your personal statement, if you want to write about selling cars, I think you can put your best foot forward there. And I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. But a a diversity statement that includes shit that wasn't even real, like bipolar and depression, you know, even if I am perfectly neutral, non-biased, Even if I'm capable of knowing that you do have bipolar and depression and not judging you for that, as Ben said, it's still a waste of time. (laughs) It's still, it's certainly not a point in your favor, right? I'm not like, Hey Ben, look at this guy. He was diagnosed with bipolar and depression and anxiety and ADHD. Yep. Let's let's admit them that's not going to, that's not how it's going to go down ever. Mm-hmm. You can certainly say, I, I, I think, a a possible, um, an addendum here to explain just kind of your story, right? Like you dropped out of college and didn't go back until later in life had a one point. Well, the, the email continues, it's kind of temporarily the story's out of order here, but the, it was a, it was a 1.83 GPA mm-hmm. and then a drop out of college. Okay. I do think that that's the kind of thing that needs to be explained via an addendum, not a diversity statement, but an addendum. And you can definitely explain that you weren't diagnosed. I I, just don't even bring up the bipolar depression, anxiety, or ADHD. Just say that this is a medical issue that you weren't diagnosed with until five years after you had dropped out of college or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, you were diagnosed, you were treated, and then bam, it went up to a 3.95. They're not going to care what it was. They're going to say, okay, problem solved. Great. Yeah, and that's your
0: story. Leave all this other shit out of it. Uh, Don't don't muddy the waters with a whole bunch of distractions and things that really can't possibly be a point in your favor. Instead, just talk about, well, I got to acknowledge the fact that I got a 1.83 for my first two years of college and then dropped out. But what was happening was, and I didn't notice until my wife noticed that I would stop breathing while sleeping and that I would do bizarre things and not remember them in the morning. I went to the doctor. I got treated for sleep apnea. My REM movement disorder was corrected. And then bang, 3.95 for the last five semesters of college and got promoted at my job and all that stuff, all that good stuff. Right. So we use one excuse. Sleep apnea. Yeah. And we go straight to the winning part.
1: Well, I see, I, I don't know if I would even mention the sleep apnea. I would just say an undiagnosed condition that was treated when I was out of college, maybe that's I, fine.
0: I, eh, I okay. I, I think we can probably go either way. And it depends on how it's actually executed in the, in the statement sure. or in the, it's going to depend a lot on that, but I'm
1: just worried about someone looking at sleep apnea and saying what, that, that that's why you have a 1.83. Like it doesn't make sense to me.
0: I kind of um, like it for that same reason. If you just say I had an undiagnosed medical condition, then I, I don't know. I might start to worry that it's Something, sleep sleep apnea to me is like, I I understand how important sleep is. And if you were never sleeping well for your entire life, I I can see how that would cause lots of different cascading, you know, problems in your life.
1: Sure. So talk about sleep apnea and maybe oxygen deprivation, right? (laughs) Exactly. That could, yeah. To emphasize that point.
0: Yeah. But, but you saying specifically that you had been diagnosed with all these other scary things. Not that they're that scary, but I mean, they, they, they can be like devastating and you don't actually have any of those things. Or if you did, they were only a symptom of the sleep apnea. So we can just talk about the sleep apnea that's solved now. And the school goes, Oh, so I'm getting the guy who got a 3.95 for his last five semesters, not the Mm -hmm. guy who got a 1.83 and dropped out and came back five years later.
1: Yeah. So just to wrap this up for Jake. Uh, because he does have some good news here. I've been listening to the podcast for 10 months and used the demon to go to, from a 156 to a 171 on my second attempt on the February flex. Nice work, man. My resume sucks and my main accomplishments as an adult have been being a good salesman and improving the internet sales numbers at the Subaru dealership I worked for. Can I spin this background into a diversity statement? Um. One thing I would like, you have to grapple with your weaknesses, but I don't know if I would say that your resume sucks. I I I feel like you're absolutely not say that. Yeah.
0: You're an adult who's been working in the real world, who has real world accomplishments at your job. You don't think there's any connection between like lawyering and sales or lawyering and improving sales numbers at your dealership. Lawyering is business. Most lawyers yeah. who get paid are in business. You've been in business. Every single one of those cars you sold came with like a fucking 50 page legal contract. Yep. I'm mean, not a that warranty. you like, had anything to do with like that part, but I mean, you sat there with that person while they signed their name 40 times. And I would write my personal statement about car sales. If I was mm-hmm. Jake, I would yep. be proud to talk about my accomplishments in car sales in an addendum. I would talk about how, yeah, you know, the, I got here by this, you know, different road for sure. Yep. But you know, I've, I've, you should, in your personal statement, you have to be proud of your achievements. And I think you're, you're, I think you're just thinking about this totally wrong. If you, if you don't think that kicking ass at at a car dealership, if you don't think that that's makes for a for a, a feather in your cap, you're totally wrong
1: about that. And the one seventy one is going to help a lot. So you put a you talk confidently about your experience, and you present a one seventy one, and you your GPA is not going to be a three point nine five, obviously because of averaging. But you point out in an addendum that you had a three point five nine five at the end. You're going to come across as a strong candidate.
0: You're competing against 21-year-olds with no real world experience. The person mm-hmm. reading your personal statement is an adult who understands what the real world is like and who, you know, like come on. I would much rather have a somebody who worked in a car dealership for 10 years and kicked ass there than somebody who studied political science and they're coming straight out of college. <laughs> like the the person who has the the I mean, you've got your feet on planet earth, Jake. And I I think that that can make a kick-ass lawyer. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for writing
1: in. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks Jake. (laughs) And and good luck. I think you're going to do quite well. So, oh, I think that
0: that could make for an excellent applicant. 171. It's a diamond in the rough because your overall GPA is going to be shit, but the 171 is going to catch my eye. And when I see your addendum that explains your grades, I'm going to go, Oh shit. Clear break from the person you used to be treated for a medical condition. 3.95 after that yep. combined with the 171 and Hey, real world experience, like succeeded in, in increasing sales numbers at this dealership love all that. Yep. Like you look like a hustler.
1: You're going to be an undervalued
0: stock. Yeah. Which a savvy school is going to snap up.
1: Yep. They're going to say, wait a sec, we dug in and we see you're valuable and we are going to want to snatch you away before someone else makes the same realization. If I'm golden
0: gate or Southwestern or whatever, like, you know, regional law school, that's that's a full ride.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I, I don't care how shitty your grades are. 171 and success in the real world. You look like a hustler to me who's got the smarts to kick ass and raise the prestige of my school. Cool. All right. Um, good afternoon, Ben and Nathan. I'm an LSAT Demon subscriber and a fan of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I wanted to thank you both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your advice, um, score improvements. Oh, I applied to law school this admission cycle and have recently accepted a full tuition scholarship to attend Penn State Law. University Park. Yes. Thank you. A very grateful LSAT Demon subscriber. And uh, this anonymous subscriber provides the following information. Studied for the LSAT for a total of six months. Four of that was using the Demon. LSAT diagnostic score was 146. Average practice score, the month of the official LSAT was 167. Official October LSAT was 164. So A few points below practice average, but Hmm. almost 20 points above the diagnostic score. Undergraduate GPA is not that great. 3.07. So 3.07 and a 164 with a full ride to a regional law school, it's like could have worked out even better.
1: Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was (laughs) like, grateful. I'm glad you're going for free because at least you're not breaking that rule. But um, with a 167 average, that means what? Maybe you hit even 170. I don't know, but have something you, higher.
0: You can't average 167 without like sometimes hitting 170. It's really hard to have that narrow of a range.
1: Yeah. So, and then you you got a 164 in October. Uh, I, I'm guessing that in an effort to apply this cycle. Yeah. You threw in the towel when you could have kept fighting. But, but we don't know the
0: background here. This school could be right next door to their house that they own. They could have three kids. They could be, you know, this, this could be the best school for them. And they did get a full ride. So I'm not, Hey, they're not paying for law school.
1: Is this, is this Nathan? Nathan?
0: (laughs) Come on, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm so grateful when anybody actually
1: good cop badge right listens to like... any of our advice.
0: <laughs> Listen, the, the big picture here, the, that box is checked, right? Okay. This person is not paying for law school.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I okay. could be getting a stipend, but whatever. Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> That's
0: excellent. That's very, that's very good news. Um, Hey, send us your favorite moments from the show. You can help us grow on social media. If you send us timestamps from a funny or helpful tip from the latest episode, Um, you can also just ask us any question at any time, help at thinkinglsat.com or on social at thinkinglsat. You want to take this next one?
1: Yeah, sure. Hi guys. Exclamation point. I just started listening to your podcast and love it so far. I'm beginning my sophomore year of undergrad. Wow. Maisie, you're listening to our podcast and you're only a sophomore. That's great to hear. I wanted your advice for what I should be doing now. I'm dead set on law school. Oh, okay. And I've gotten some advice from lawyers and my pre-law advisor for what to do this early, but I wanted to hear from you guys. I feel that it's still way too early to start the demon, which I'll definitely be doing and want to know what free resources, activities, or brain training that you'd recommend. I know that it may be pretty early to be asking about LSAT studying, but I specifically want to know what I can do now to build LSAT skills and intuition in ways outside a study program. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, if Maisie wants to build LSAT skills, I think the most effective way to do that is to study for the LSAT. And there is an upside here. If if you're actually serious about this and you study now and you take the test in 6 months or whatever, your your score is good for 5 years. And if you absolutely hate the process, then that might help you dis- question your determination to go to law school before you're that far into your undergrad career, so you still have time to explore other options.
0: Yeah, if I was your, you know, brother, I would say or your dad or something, I would say, Hey, you're too young to be dead set on law school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I'm not sure. Like, what justification do you have for that? Have you ever been in a law office? Do you know what lawyers actually, maybe you do. And if you do great, but my presumption is mm, there's probably other options out there that you haven't yet explored. You also probably don't know enough about legal practice to really be just a hundred percent dead set on law school. So I would encourage you to explore all of your other avenues and only go down the LSAT route when you become like, I have a burning desire to practice law and I'm never going to be happy in life. If I don't practice law, those are the people that should be going down this road. If if you have any doubt at all, this is not right for you. And if you're 20 years old, I just don't know that you, <laughs> I don't know that you can possibly be that dead set.
1: Yeah. Well, and here's another concern is if you're dead set now and you start taking these classes, which I feel like are kind of phony classes. I don't really know how to describe them. They're like these like pre-law oriented classes, as opposed to taking like classes outside of your comfort zone. You know, you can take electives, consider taking something in a totally far off field, maybe um, physics (laughs) and see how it goes. I mean, you may find yourself... Enamored by it in a way that would get you to change yeah. your trajectory.
0: I, I do have one caveat there, which is if you really are locked into the law school path, yeah, you probably shouldn't take physics because it's going to fuck up your GPA. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> well, wait a second. It, I mean, no. Actually,
1: it's, so the people who do the best on the L side are physics majors, right? Yeah, Econ majors or math majors.
0: But it's also really, really hard to get A's in those classes. And that's not the case for history, English, All right, so maybe poli sci, but, uh,
1: I don't know. I would say the value in knowing whether or not you want to pursue a career or life in physics is more valuable than the scorecard. That's true. That's
0: true. I mean, there's other ways you can
1: explore that besides like taking
0: undergraduate classes that are going to end up on your GPA, you know the the LSAC, the system is so fucked up, right? Like, I just got an email yesterday from a student who had two years worth of ungraded uh, work. Like, went to some mm-hmm. hippie school that just gave written evaluations, which yeah. is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure it was an, actually a super excellent school, but they don't have any way of numerically judging. And then he had 56 credits worth of a 3.95 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And LSAC is not going to report a GPA for him because Ooh. you have to have 60 credits. Ooh. And so he's going to just have a no GPA, which is fine. The school is going to report you as no GPA. So they don't, I think they don't, they kind of don't care, but the bummer is that 3.95 doesn't get to count in his favor, which it, Mm -hmm. Clearly would have if he would have just gotten one more graded class in undergrad. Hmm. So there is, you know, if you are really a thousand percent sure, there's some gaming of the system, which is probably in your favor to just make sure that you're going to have a really good reportable GPA.
1: What about LSAT?
0: Well, and then LSAT is, of course, the... It's the most important thing you can do, right? Or it's at least equally important for the top 14. Sure. It, it, yeah. So in that case, the guy who doesn't have a GPA, of course, LSAT is going to carry more weight. And as long as he's above the 75th percentile, I think the school is going to be like, you're, you're in. But boy, if he had had that 3.95 to go along with his 170, whatever, then we're talking about all of the you know, top, most elite schools. I want to give Maisie a couple other little bits of advice. Um, Okay. You know, to, to actually answer your question, I specifically want to know what I can do now besides the LSAT to build LSAT skills and intuition. The only thing I would ever recommend is just read books. Don't really care what you read, read books. One more thing, maybe take a couple classes in like economics.
1: Sure. Those are also hard, though. <laughs> All right. They're going to fall into that category. Basic of...
0: economics, pretty easy, isn't it? I found micro and macro to be like, really, for like, take the econ classes for business majors. You'll learn plenty. Like, take business classes. Business classes are easy. I was a business major.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, I agree. Do... They're easy. I just wonder if they then lose their value. But, um I think yeah. you still learn quite a bit
0: of practical stuff that a lot of times when we see 21 year olds, like they don't know what profit is. Sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but I mean, I would last... love
1: for someone to take an econ class. I'm just saying, yeah. I think that they're generally perceived as, as more challenging. Well, even don't even take the super
0: hard one that requires you to do differential equations or whatever. Like take yeah. the easy one <laughs> take the, take the econ for dummies class. That could be, I think, super helpful. I think that could be just as helpful as the one that requires calculus. I mean, there's just, there's, you're going to get the general gist of things, which the boy, the LSAT, when they start talking about economics, it's not on a very sophisticated level, right? It's very, very basic. The other thing I would say, Maisie, and this is probably the opposite of what you're hearing from your pre-law advisor. It is not too early to start prepping for the LSAT. I don't think it's too early at all. If you're going to go straight through from undergrad to law school, the uh, K through JD as they call it. If you're going to go, if you really are going to go straight through, if you 100% have made up your mind and you're going to go to law school, start I don't see any reason not to prep for the LSAT right now. You can get it done while you're, you know, maybe your summer breaks or whatever, you'll have multiple chances, you'll have all the time in the world to prep. Multiple chances at the official LSAT. Your score is good for five years once you take it.
1: Yeah. And you won't be in the situation that Grateful was in taking the test in October and trying to decide whether that's your last time to take it or not, because you can take it (laughs)
0: whenever. Thanks, Maisie. Thank you. Howdy, dot Ben and Nathan. In short, when is it okay to pay for law school? I had full freight paid for on merit-based awards for both undergrad and graduate school. I've always had an innate aversion to paying for schooling and hope to continue the streak. What are the edge cases where you would say that it is allowable to bet on yourself via paying for part of the cost yourself? Would you consider doing so for no schools whatsoever, for Yale, Stanford, and Harvard only, or would it expand beyond those three? For context, uh, I'm new to studying for the LSAT. My cold practice test was a 169. Most of my difficulty on the practice tests comes in the games, which, as you note, are the most learnable. Thanks for the podcast and praise the demon. C. P.S. This is a question for you, Ben. When the questions in the demon become harder, are all question types represented roughly equally in each difficulty level? I was curious if certain question types show up less regularly in certain regions, since question type may be correlated with difficulty. I would like to avoid creating any blind spots in my prep. My gut is that's nothing you need to worry about. But what do you think?
1: You don't need to worry about it. I I will answer the technical question. Uh, If you look at conclusion questions, for example, there are tons of conclusion questions. That's just asking for the main point of the argument, uh, levels one and two. There's a handful of level three, and I think there's like one level four and probably one or two level five conclusion questions. They, they're just not that. They're just not that hard. Hard to make hard. Right? Like it's, it's, it's not easy to make them difficult. And so you're not going to have a blind spot because if you can identify the conclusion in some of these harder level five questions, um, sometimes that's what makes them hard, even though it's not a conclusion question.
0: So. The LSAT is gonna show you what your problems are. If you drill in the demon, the demon's automatically going to keep track of what you need to work on. And it's going to just give you those questions. You don't have to think about anything. You just hit drill and work on the question. That's it. When you do time sections, I mean, the two you're missing per section. Well, those are the ones that you need to give some attention to. I don't care what their difficulty level is. I don't care what their question type is. I care why you missed that one question, and I think yeah. that's all you really need to to worry about. Um, let's address the first question: When is it okay to pay for law school? We had, you know, we again we had Sydney Montgomery on the last episode of the show. She turned down UVA to go to Harvard. She turned down a full ride at UVA to go to Harvard, but. But in her case, I think it actually does qualify, one, because it's Harvard, which does open doors, you know, that nowhere else possibly, you know, or Stanford or Yale would open. Yeah, this but, is
1: this is the exponential increase in value at the very top. At right? the very, 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 very top. top. Right. Yes.
0: Um, where, you know, presidents of the United States come from. Um, sure. And, and so an exception can be made there. Another reason why an exception can be made is because those schools do uh, need-based scholarships, not merit-based scholarships. So she uh, did not get the merit-based scholarship from Harvard, but she got need-based help, and she knew she was going to be in their extremely robust LRAP program.
1: Yeah.
0: And so like she had the finances like calculated in advance where it actually made sense for her if you're literally deciding between paying for Harvard or getting a full ride to UVA for one, you can't go wrong anyway. Nope. Can't for two, there might be reasons why you would choose the truly elite school. Yeah. The, the problem is people then extrapolate this to, 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 um, non analogous choices right well what if i have a what if i got admitted to um to berkeley but i uh but i got a full ride to to golden gate like what should mm-hmm. i do then you know yeah. <laughs> and it's like well wait a second that's not the choice that you're actually making if you've applied correctly
1: yeah well i would say i would say this i would say our presumption is always, one, don't go to law school. If you decide to go, two, <laughs> That's don't... Just, we don't say that very often, but it, it is pretty true, right? Like, when Maisie was like, I,
0: I'm dead set on law school, both of us are kind of like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry. Okay, well, all right, if we, beyond that, let's see how we can help you. But you yep. could have avoided this whole... <laughs>
1: miserable life by making a different choice okay anyway go ahead yeah so here's the hierarchy right so number one is don't go yes. if you are gonna go for some godforsaken reason Ugh. don't pay right Ugh, and sure. if you are going to pay then you need next pay as little as possible and the th- the price that you pay not the amount you get off, right? Everybody focuses on the scholarship amount. It's like, I don't care about that. I want to know how much you're going to pay, right? How much are you going to pay to go and and get that number very clear in your head and make sure that you're using that money to buy something that is equal to or greater in value. So in your example, I mean, you were talking about extreme example, you're saying going from UVA to Harvard, right? She is paying a lot of money to do that. But at the same time, Maybe not so much because she's going to get paid back, and she's going to Harvard, and so you're saying the you know the increase in value is greater than the cost. That's the that's always the case. I don't. This is like this is economics, right? This is basic economics. So I'm sure there are exceptions. I don't even know what they are. But if you came to me with two very similar schools, and one was going to cost ten grand, and the other was going to be free, which is not entirely accurate because you also have to pay for the cost of living and all the other stuff. But if you said there was a ten thousand dollar difference, I would say okay. What are you getting for that ten grand, and can you make the case that it's worth it? If it, if you can, your family is nearby. It's, it's uh, in a city you want to practice in. I, I don't know. Then maybe yes, but you, the presumption is no.
0: The presumption is no because the vast majority of these decisions are actually choosing between UC Hastings and University of San Francisco, which are mm-hmm. two miles away from each other, which are both just regional law schools. It's not worth distinguishing between the two as far as the rankings are concerned. They're in the same geographical area. They're the same rough quality of schools. And in that case, you might be facing a full ride offer from USF and no offer or a real small offer from Hastings. And when you're asking that question, you know, is it worth $30,000 a year more to go to Hastings? My answer is absolutely not. absolutely not. No way you can show me the math that makes that work out. It's just not going to be not possible.
1: Yep. And and the the metric that most people use is they look at the rankings, right? And so they say, Hey, well, this school is 43rd, (laughs) which is not true because just last year was probably 37th, but this one is 43. And the other one I'm looking at is 50. It's like, I'm sorry, there is actually no dollar value between those two numbers. There's zero. So you can't tell me that paying 10 grand or 30 grand, something way worse for something that is worth absolutely nothing makes any sense.
0: U.S. News sucks. They have done the world a a giant disservice by ranking the law schools all the way down to 100 or 150 or whatever. There's no difference. There's no difference between like 25 and 35, let alone a difference between 75 (laughs) and 85. Who gives a shit? You're, you're not going to the best law school in the country. Yeah, You're not playing the for the World. Yankees. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. It's a regional law school, which is fine. It's going to do all kinds of fine things for you. But like shitting on these lower ranked schools, just because the U S news happens to have them lower ranked is just a real bad, that's, that's a, a very dumb, uh, strategy. You know, my last advice for, for C is, You also shouldn't be thinking about this right now. You should be working on the best LSAT you can.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You should
0: be applying early. You should be applying broadly. And once your actual offers are in hand, then we would love to talk about this decision you're going to make. But we can't make this decision in the abstract. There's no hard and fast rule. I'm not going to say, well, of course, you can make an exception for Harvard, Yale, and Stanford. But nowhere else. That's uh, that's not going to be my advice. We we have to look at the actual offers in hand.
1: It's like put this in a dating contest or context, right? Like it's like, oh, <laughs> w- what if I meet two people? W- one is more attractive, and the other one's nicer. But I mean, how much more? Like, I, I w- it's like, give me the two people, and then we can talk about it, right? Like, right now, there's just no. <laughs> Let's get out
0: there. Let's do some dating.
1: Let's, yeah, have let's some actually have people that are interested in you. You may never get there. <laughs>
0: right. This theoretical deciding what you're going to do five years before it actually happens. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate C's question. I'm glad Sorry, you wrote C. into the show. But it is, you know, we're statsturbating and uh, we need another word for um, absturbating.
1: Yeah, absturbating. Yeah. Or Abs- sc- something about schools. Yeah. <laughs> or, or scholarship. Right. So it's, it's not just your application. It's, it's the acceptances that you've received your offers you're <laughs>
0: before they're ever even in hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh and, we'll leave it there. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, you, uh, can be LSAT famous. All you got to do is, uh, email help at thinkinglsat.com and you can, uh, get on the agenda for a future show. If you have any questions about the LSAT demon, which we believe is the by far best way to prepare for the LSAT. Um, we're biased, but uh, we're not wrong. You can email <laughs> help at LSATDemon.com demon.com <laughs> to uh, learn more about really it's, it's bitching. I mean, it's awesome. I love being part of it. I love teaching my classes. I'm super proud of the community we've built. I mean, it's just it's it's excellent if you've listened to the show this far i think you have one choice for your lsat prep which is the the demon please you'll enjoy it okay and our new our new
1: tagline is biased but true
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely that was episode 291 of the thinking lsat podcast thanks all y'all for listening nice knowing you don't pay for law school